not salsa, not flamenco, my brother. Do you know podcast? And welcome to this supplemental reading of 2022's RRR, directed by Asa. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. I was thinking forward. I'm going to give ourselves, I'm going to give us an edit point. I'm going to give us an edit point. Here we go. (laughs) That got violent so quickly. I've just been putting a lot of pressure on myself. Here we go. Directed by S.S. Rajamuli, starring N.T. Ramarao Jr. and Ram Charan. My name is John. And my name is Henry. And if you haven't listened to a zero-credit supplemental reading before, essentially, me and Henry, we find one thing in popular culture, just one thing. Uh, We find something in popular culture we deem important, and we present it to you in its entirety, our thoughts. Rearrange those a little bit to get what I really meant. Uh, yep, <laughs> that's what You're, we do. That is what we do, and we do it with the, uh, God, all of the words just left my brain. We do it with the assumption that you too, dear listener, have listened to this or watched this form of media. So if you have not watched the movie RRR, please hang up now. And for this movie, maybe more than almost any other that we've covered on a zero credit supplementary, I strongly suggest that if you have not watched it already, go watch it for your sake, not just for listening to this episode. It is a thousand percent worth it. Yes. You might look at the runtime and think, well, three hours is a bit much for any movie. Uh, But if you have seen Avatar The Way of Water, you have no excuse. Watch RRR today. There's an intermission. You can pause it and come back to it at a different time. Yeah, just like in uh, classic, very old movies such as um, Totally Blanking on the Name, Dr. Zhivago, and maybe Gone with the Wind. I don't know. There's an intermission. Uh, walk away, pee during the intermission, and come back. Now, I would like to get into this a little bit before we actually get into the meat of RRR. All to right. actually talk about our perceptions going into it. Now, I am an RRR booster, by the way, of the Alamo Draft House. Uh, as as you might remember, there was a serious campaign at the Alamo Draft House promoting the film Everything Everywhere All at Once, and. Um, I believe that was part of their uh, Draft House Recommends series. It Uh, was, yes. Immediately following that, they entered a campaign for RRR. They were showing it in theaters way longer than any other movie theater in the United States was showing it. Alamo Draft House knew the power of RRR early on. So I saw it there, watched it later. I think after this most recent viewing, I've maybe seen this movie five times. Now that is saying something. Uh, 
As for me, I am a latecomer to the RRR game. I was tangentially aware of it as a popular film of the last year coming out of somewhere in Southeast Asia. I now know more facts about where it comes from. But at the time, I was like, yeah, it's India, right? And it turns out I was correct. And I'm really only watching it or have watched it on the behest of John, who has recommended it so highly. And of course, the reason why Henry watched it and the reason why my recommendations, amazingly, when we were going through Best Worst of 2022, it didn't even cross my mind because at that point it had been maybe 10 months since the film had come out. It had been quite some time, or at least come out in America. And uh, I had kind of forgotten how much I liked it. And then there was a significant amount of buzz around the movie, particularly with the Golden Globes win for the best original song, Not To Not To, of course. Of course. And that reawakened uh, some fervor for this movie, not just in, in myself and who then recommended it to Henry, but in general, this film is seeing this uh, pretty incredible like second or third wave of popularity following the Golden Globe win that I, I really really appreciate like it's consistently in the netflix top 10 every single day it is yes uh and the film is readily available to view on netflix Uh, but just know that if you're watching it on netflix you're unfortunately not watching the film as the director intended it to be watched uh, because despite his very fervent request this film was dubbed in i want to say all seven regional dialects of uh, India, but for some reason, Netflix only presents the Hindi version of the film. Uh, and so you're limited in what, what film, what, what dialect you want to hear much to the, uh, the chagrin of the director. Yeah. It's really unfortunate because I think that this movie, um, considering how popular it's been in the media lately, how embedded it is in the cultural consciousness of people who pay attention to these silly things. Uh, this movie is pretty groundbreaking because it's actually, I think the first movie in the popular consciousness to show that the landscape of filmmaking in India is very, very diverse. Uh, this movie of course, being the uh, biggest budget, and I believe highest grossing film uh, that is in the Telugu language, which is at least Telangana. I forget the other part of India, which is primarily spoken. I apologize. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. If you fall into the trap that I fell into and label this film a Bollywood film, you would be very wrong uh, because it doesn't come from that region of India at all. Instead, you could call this a Tollywood film or is a Tel a Telugu. Oh, man. A Telugu film instead. Yes, I, I think that the the character of this film, from my understanding, is uh, is very classic Tollywood. The film's originating out of like Hyderabad. So the reason why they call them Bollywood movies is because Bombay is kind of the Hollywood of India, portmanteau of the two words Bollywood. Uh, you can't do that with Telangana, the Telangana region or the Telangana state. Because uh, you can't do a portmanteau of Hollywood and Hyderabad because it just becomes Hollywood again. So Tollywood. <laughs> Tollywood for the uh, language also, and the pretty, region. Pretty crucially, from my understanding as someone who is not vel- very well versed in these movies, uh, this movie is very 
uh, Tollywood in that it, it appears as though the the characteristics of Tollywood films are like pretty bombastic, kind of actiony, funny, kind of self-aware, but also achingly self-serious movies. And highly stylized, highly, highly stylized, definitely highly stylized. And there's apparently a criticism that your average Bollywood movie is kind of becoming uh, like too self-aware or pessimistic or pandering to Western audiences. And I I think you, you, you see a more raw version of what the region can produce in something like RRR, a movie that the director never anticipated would see success out of its outside of its initial markets. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it, m- much of the surprise of everyone, RRR really did the numbers. Uh, and I really want to stress the initial success because, uh, John, why is this movie called RRR? Uh, it's, it's called RRR. Uh, I think because it stands for roar, rise, revolt, or rise, roar, revolt, but it also maybe stands for fire, water, story. (laughs) Now, those are two good guesses, and uh, you would be right if you were paying attention to the film, uh, which good for you. Uh, However, the real reason this film is called RRR is because it's directed by Raja Muli. It stars Rama Rahul Jr. and Ram Charan. Oh, I I had no I had no idea they they love the three R's together. Yeah, so it was a uh, in development title for the film, uh, just the director and the first two principal actors, and then uh, Mister the director, Mister Direct. Oh, if I'm not looking at the name, I can't remember it. S. S. Uh, Rajamuli. S. S. Rajamuli decided, hey, why not? I'm going to keep the R R R title, and. Uh, translate that into words that fit whatever language it's in um for the majority of india those words are it's they're great words and i cannot find them but something like rage glory blood very good Uh, oh even better than roar rise revolt right uh that that makes sense that it wouldn't necessarily be uh tied specifically to those three english words right no um it, it, it's so they they found words that translate into every language. Um, I'm I'm, a, I'm about to find it. I'm sure Fierce, you will. Yes. Okay. So uh, our arm is an acronym for Rudram Ranam Rudharim, which can be roughly translated from Telugu as fierce death blood. Very good. I love fierce death blood. Yes, but uh, the English title being Rise, Roar, Revolt, which carries the alliterative spirit of the name with not quite the blood or the death. Yeah, of course, um, Story Firewater is, is of course, <laughs> is of course a better title as is laid out in the film, which, by the way, this film has um, some of the, the most incredible uses of... Uh, kind of transitions mm, that I've mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. I, I think maybe we can talk about the central premise yes, of the of movie and how insane its central premise is. Essentially, to set the stage, you've seen the movie already, but historical context, this is in the 1920s, near-ish the end of the British Raj in India, which lasted give or take a hundred years, I think. Uh, if I'm wrong about any of this, please let me know. Whose effects would span centuries past that? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I, 
to be honest with you, I don't totally remember my history of the British Raj. I know that I know that India was under a suzerainty for a while. I don't know how much autonomy India really had. Maybe it was just a suzerainty towards the end. I truly don't know. I believe yeah. the British Raj came to an end sometime in the 1940s, like 1947 or something. But this it film was, is yeah. set during the uh, period of obscurity, I believe, for two central figures in the Indian Revolution against the British Raj. And that is, of course, Kamaram Beam and Aluri Sitarama Raju. Yes. Uh, two freedom fighters? I don't know what to call them. Yeah, freedom fighters. Absolutely. Okay. Who, yeah. who both of them, I think, uh, used like asymmetric guerrilla tactics against the British Raj. Like classic freedom fighter shit. Right. Two freedom fighters who uh, lived roughly around the same time. Kind of uh, one life overlapped the other by a little bit. Um, but who unfortunately never met in real life, although they had very similar stories where uh, they grew up in a village, they disappeared for a, a period of time, and then they came back to fight the British. Mm -hmm. um, a similarity that, of course, the director, S.S. Rajamuli, noticed and basically came up with the premise, well, what if they met? This is an incredible premise, because it's like, I really wish I could think of... Uh, analogs to American history, but it's like saying if if two American freedom fighters from different sides of the country had somehow met and formed an inseparable bond before they each went on to do their own thing, it's yeah. it is not historical fiction. It feels a lot more like historical fan fiction, yeah, which I am totally on board with. We, we kind of have that in American history. Like, if you think about the people who were at the Alamo fight, like you got Davy Crockett and Daniel Yeah, that is, that is a very good call out. Absolutely. It's kind of like that uh, a little bit. Like, but uh, th so what Rajamuli revealed was that it was Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards that put him on the path of coming up with a, a fantastical history. Because, uh, like, well, if. He could do that. If he can make a fictional story based on history, why can't we do that with India? And then boom, here we are at RRR. You you get RRR, a film that is by all accounts superior to, to Inglorious Bastards, which I think is a good movie. Uh, RRR uh, trumps it in every possible yeah. way because Inglorious Bastards is great. It has very few tigers being punched with a flaming gauntlet. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I, I mean, an Ingloria, Inglorious Bastards revisionist history really only stems in, like, spoilers, the finale of the film. Uh-huh. Uh, but other than that, like, everything else is sort of rooted in historical fact, if not historical retelling, you know, the oral tradition of embellishment. RRR uh, takes that tradition of embellishment to the extreme. To the absolute extreme i i think that this is as far as ground that you and i are pretty comfortable walking one thing that you and i experience slowly over time and actually the reason why we started the endeavor of watching all the fast and furious movies back to back is we wanted to see this power creep of how people went from normal people to superheroes over the course of 
maybe six or seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Street racers become gods behind the wheel in the in the matter of a decade. Yeah, and that was fascinating to watch. RRR takes a different approach in that it starts with characters who are introduced in both of their introductory scenes. And I want to talk about both of these introductory scenes a little bit. Both of them introduced as completely superhuman anime protagonists um, who, who are totally beyond physical reproach. You, of course have uh, Rom who fights a mob of thousands of people yeah. to arrest one guy because he is uh, an Imperial police officer. And then you have Beam who uh, looks to be running from a wolf, but then captures a tiger with his bare hands Absolutely. In, in the most gratuitous uh, bicep flexing scene since uh, Captain America Civil War or whatever. Yeah. And when he when he bicep curled a helicopter, I know exactly what you're talking about. He's bicep curling a tiger in yeah. this movie. Even better. I really love the introduction scenes of both of these characters uh, because, yes, uh, Rom and Beam are both introduced in these really action-packed sequences where they ultimately do succeed, but... They are shown to be superhuman, yes, but not invulnerable to harm. I, uh, I think I think that is a very smart observation. Yeah, so it, it, there's an actual like struggle, and you don't quite know. We don't know these characters yet. This is the first time we're even seeing Rom. We don't even know his name yet. He just jumps over the fence to try to get this one guy through a brick at a portrait of George the Fifth. King George V, where are my manners? Uh, and, and he's it, multiple times in this scene. He, it, it, like it's, <laughs> you can feel the weight of these people smothering him. You can feel the struggle that he's going through, and you have no idea where that's coming from. And spoilers, you won't find out where that's coming from until the latter half of the movie. <laughs> this movie has one of the best ballsiest narrative slow burns ever oh yeah it, absolutely it, it is it is um because it's it's not only a reveal halfway through the movie but there's a reveal halfway through the movie and then a final reveal 75 percent of the way through the movie which gives you the impetus for the final two set pieces yeah incredible i i do i have to applaud the movie because it starts out it starts out with the central conflict, although you won't have context for that conflict for another two segments. Like it starts out with the story and you get that the this governor and his wife, Governor have, Scott and his lady, Catherine, thank you, have purchased in their mind this this uh, villager from the uh, I know the Gons Gond, tribe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and. Of course, there's a language barrier. They had no idea they they were quote unquote selling the, this girl and the Gons tribe is they're they're very, very fiercely tightly woven and knit. And there's one, <laughs> one a shepherd one. to his flock, <laughs> yeah. one shepherd who will do nothing, who will pry the lost lamb from the fangs of the wolf. 
Exactly. Like we get all of the backstory for Beam first, which is great because we're tracking it. We're following it. It gets interwoven with this other character we've met whose name is, is, is Ram or Rama or, you know, wh- whatever you want to call him because he goes by apparently three different names and has a killer mustache. An incredible mustache. Like impeccable. Like, I, I'm sorry if I was a British woman and here and I, I had to pick from all these little like posh boys or this guy with an impeccable mustache. I'm going mustache. I, I got to say, quick aside, super quick aside. We talked about the the bicep flexing scene <clears throat> to capture the tiger uh, or almost capture the tiger. And the the second part of that is after Rom fights a thousand people to capture one guy and is then denied his promotion to special officer. Yes. He then has an incredible rage boxing uh, <laughs> rage punching a wall until he punches a hole like a foot through it and punches a uh, a uh, punching bag so hard it looks like it was shot with a shotgun. It, it is it is <laughs> the amazing. most gratuitous, and we're not going to come back to this. But these this movie deserves a special place for having the most gratuitous appreciation <laughs> for the male body. Like Marvel movies have been trying to do this for years. This movie blows those out of the water. This movie is in love with how these people look. It is it is insane and super, super obvious. You Absolutely, gotta appreciate yes. it. But yeah, it just you get so caught up in Beam's story that you forget like at the at the culmination, at the at the climax of Beam's journey to get revenge for his village. You get caught up in it so much you forget that that Ram has his own agenda. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're you are blindsided by the betrayal, but then you're given the backstory of why that betrayal happened and you understand it. It's it's I don't know. It's fascinating to me. The the movie is told in like a fascinating and super courageous way. Cause it it trusts you <laughs> to to sit through the movie. And the especially the way that Rom's story is told is like peerless. It's amazing because uh, once you because once you truly have all the pieces together, you only know everything right before the best, most incredible, bombastic part of the movie. Yeah, uh, when they literally join together like Voltron, their paths converged. It's amazing. <laughs> It's so good. At multiple times while watching this, uh, Jamie and I were were yelling at the screen. You guys want the same things. Yes, work together. I mean, so it's dramatic irony in in these cases is classic. But the way that this movie does it is, of course, super over the top, but also somehow handled exceptionally well. Which is maybe a theme in this movie is that there is a, a tremendous amount of craft and tenderness taken with it for things that are insane, which I I don't, maybe that's this movie's secret sauce. Cause I can't remember the last time I saw a movie do that. Yeah, absolutely. I it's, it's two people with similar goals who are at odds and it's just them bumping into each other. Their, their destinies intertwined 
Um, wait, no, it, it, it is, it is um, the friendship of rock and storm, friendship of yes. thunder and lightning, east and west meeting, surprise, this friendship. I mean, who knows if it will end in friendship or betrayal. Yeah. I was trying to find a full translation of this, of that song, because the, the lyrics of that song, at least as I understood them, having, uh, re- reading the, uh, the closed captions, there was mention of like one was a weapon of destruction, the other a protector. And what these lyrics really do that is great in the movie is that you don't know which one, which character these lyrics are being assigned to. Yes. Because I was like, okay, weapon of destruction. I think that's Beam because he's so strong. And the protector is is Rom because he's a cop. Uh-huh. And by the end of the movie, like it's flipped because you you find out that Rom is like the greatest warrior to ever live. He's a born killer, and that Beam is the protector of his like of his village. So it's like the 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 things you ascribe the way that I at least translated those lyrics to characters flipped for me. It's so hard to have a movie that's handled with such craft that has multiple songs that tell you exactly what is happening, yeah. but in a in a very clever way. I, to go back to a previous point, we watched over the course of five Fast and Furious movies, these people becoming superheroes. This movie starts with people already being superheroes, essentially. And then these two total strangers across a distance of maybe 200 yards, lock eyes and wordlessly communicate to save a child from a burning train in the water under a bridge that one of them is supposed to ride a motorcycle, the other a horse. They're both supposed to attach ropes to their waist, jump off at different points, and then... uh, do a a bicep handshake in the middle (laughs) and then the title card happens. Yes. And then it only, it's like, it's like watching a fast and furious movie, but the superhero vacation is 30 times faster. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You, You start out with these strong men who lock eyes, instantly communicate everything they need to know, even have the forethought to, I need to grab this flag and douse it in water so I can toss it to to this this other stranger opposite me on the, on the swinging pendulum of ropes so he can wrap himself with a doused flag and uh, not catch fire as he swings back into the flames. Like, everything is thought out, because of course it is. Let's not forget that when we drop from these ropes, the water's on fire, so we need to somehow will ourselves to be heavy enough to run along the bottom of the river and then clasp hands (laughs) to enter into arguably the greatest friendship montage ever put to film. Yeah, uh, it is absolutely amazing. It, It is so good. There is a clamoring of people on the internet suggesting that it's queer coded. The director has come out to say, no, this is just a, this is just bros being bros. This is just dudes being guys. I want, he wanted to uh, highlight male friendship because he, he felt like that wasn't getting enough rep these days. I will defend, uh, because he actually took some some flack for the statements SS Rajamuli. I will defend him there in that I think that we, 
I, I think that a lot of people in in media criticism have a tendency to say that things are queer coded. Okay, th- this is a bad take, and we won't talk about it for long. I have a, I feel like we have a tendency to say that things are queer coded when they are visual representations of a physical relationship between two men or two women. And I feel like that in itself is actually pretty problematic to say that yeah. people cannot have physical relationships that aren't uh, sexual, I guess. And I, I feel like maybe that's not a great way to view most things. It, I, it, I have no yeah. problem with queer coded characters, but I mean, you should be able to show two characters having any kind of physical relationship and you should say the what is being shown to me on the screen is indicative of what the relationship is. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is not uncommon in other parts of the world for two straight men to clasp hands and walk hand in hand down the street as friends, platonically. I, with all of my bros, I will often put them on my back and do squats with them. And, right. And we will I mean, look at each other, do, do pull-ups on trees. Sure. Um, my statement was factual. You're taking <laughs> examples from the movie. Both are, are completely uh, valid. I'm just saying that there, there are a lot of more romantic tropes in Western culture For that sure. don't translate one-to-one to other cultures. So you have to keep in mind while watching this that this is from – a, com- a different part of the world than I'm used to. Uh, maybe the things that I'm reading into it aren't intended to be read into. It's just another part of being aware of, of where your your media is coming from. Yeah, and I think that I think that maybe that style of of criticism or observation comes from the fact that Western media is like very sterilized when it comes to showing physical relationships between two people who aren't that aren't sexual uh right. in fact our culture is like uh god try to be a man who hugs people or try to touch people on the shoulder like platonically this seems like i'm making a weird like anti-me too statement or even a woman who does that like we recoil from physical touch it's weird for us to see people like being physical with each other not like reading something into it something about our culture i don't know yeah plus post-covid you know yeah, I'm just saying when <laughs> when Beam was doing squats with Rom on his back, where were the masks? I know that's what I wanted to know. Um, all right, well, well, quickly pivoting off that, I want to talk about the theme of fire and water that is woven so thoroughly throughout this piece. Um, because as you know, RRR stands for the story, the fire, the water, the story, fire, water. Yep. And uh, so the fire, of course, is a segment. You see that segment card, and it says the fire, and then we see we are introduced to to Ram. Uh, then later on, we see the water, and we are introduced to uh, Beam. So these these two characters are represented by fire and water, and mm-hmm. when they meet, a train derails. A train full of oil derails. Oh my fire. god! I didn't even realize this. <laughs> Holy shit! There's fire on the water. This is the best movie ever made. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Here's the thing. You're How many th- times have you seen this movie? Five. To- You're a thousand percent right. Holy yes. shit! When fire meets water, 
usually it's bad, or usually one puts out the other. But when oil is mixed together with it, they can exist in the same place. <laughs> Wait, which character is the oil? Is it Jenny? It's the Raj. <laughs> oh, the Raj is the oil. The Raj is the oil because it makes the fire burn brighter and it subdues the oil. But together, they can... <laughs> together, they can yeah. burn up... The oil. I, I do. I do gotta say, when we are introduced to Beam, no, no, no. When we're when we're introduced to uh, Scott and Catherine in the the story section, which lasts about seven minutes. Yeah, just really great. And I think one of the reasons this movie is seeing the waves of success it's seen. It's just so great to see white people as total unabashed fucking villains from the perspective of another culture. Really, really refreshing because I feel like a lot of international films that end up getting translated for American audiences have the kind of pandering problem that people seem to think modern day Bollywood movies have. And this movie fucking hates the British Raj. Like individuals can be okay, but the people at the top are total fucking villains. Yeah, they are. There, there might be two good British people in the entire film. Um, one is Jenny. Yeah, I guess she's uh, as much as far as she is a character. I'm sorry, just please. Her point. name is do not call me Memsa. It is Jenny. Yes. Yes, of course. You, I'm really happy you memorized that. <laughs> I mean, I had to. It was very important and I only heard it once. I had to remember her name. Uh, the only other quote unquote good British person, and this is a stretch, is the officer who recognizes how good Ram is. <laughs> Wait, is he the guy who walks up and he says, um, I can vouch for this man. Oh, I thought it was in the uh, original two white people where the one guy was like, that mob had me scared out of my wits, sir. And the other guy goes, clearly dubbed over, by the way, he scares me more. Yeah, it's the same character, actually. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. awesome. So it's that guy. It's that guy. He's the only other good one, but uh, that's in quotes, because, like, <laughs> all we see him really do is vouch for Rom, like, two times. Yeah, those are those are the only good white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, the other good white people are the people who are into Desinach slash Natu. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Uh, yes, all of the women who, are, who like this new style of dance... Oh my god, this whole podcast could be about that part of the movie. I guess some of the background dancer men, the men were only dancing out of anger though, so I don't know (laughs) if they were really on board with it. All in all, that segment is fucking fantastic. I I do want to get kind of your, your gonzo impressions. So going into it, you knew that it had won a Golden Globe for Best Original Song. And we, not we, to, not yeah. to. And we and, kept a lookout uh, for that song. And every I, time. I, my wife, and our friend were blowing up our group chat saying not to, not to at you because we had all seen it and loved it. And yeah. I want to know what you thought it would be. <laughs> yes. And, and what it ended up being for you. Uh, so, yeah, every time a song started, every time there was a song of lyrics, we, we, we were thinking, is this not to, not to? And we, mm-hmm. we kept a listen out while reading the translated words, and we, did, we didn't hear it until... Yes. Until this, they spill that champagne, yes. and then that platter is rolling across the ground. 
and it gets snatched up and the drumming starts. When he and, kicked uh, that into the air, were you like, this is going to be Nantu Nantu? No. It was, honestly, we're a bit slow with the pickup. It, we, had, we had to wait for the uh, the chorus, the Nantu Nantu, to come in. And then and then my wife was very happy. She's like, oh, yeah, it means like dance, dance. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, it literally means dance. Yeah. And uh, that sequence is amazing. It rivals... Uh, you know, every showstopper musical dance that you throughout the tradition of showstopper musical numbers and all of cinema, it is fantastic. It even has the classic like dance battle kind of thing aspect. And it's amazing because it's so thoroughly encapsulates. It's like a tournament arc in anime. It's it's so it, it, <laughs> there's and, multiple competitors. Yeah, what, what, and, and it comes down to it comes our down two, to the two protagonists, the two protagonists, the 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 friends turned rivals. Like it's it, it's it, it foreshadows their their fight, their battle against each other for similar things, and then in such a great like best friend moment, he's Ram sees Jenny cheering for beam and he takes the 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 throngs are saying rom rom everyone's for rom but jenny who he knows his friend octar aka beam has a theme has a thing for is saying octar and then he loses yeah he throws he throws i think he could have won no for sure he throws it for his friend yeah because of the two he's the more dexterous yeah for sure i I was introduced to the reason why I saw RRR originally is in the draft house recommends they did show parts of the Natu Natu sequence. I was like, oh, I got to go see this. Um, but to your point, compare it. If you look at the Natu Natu sequence in RRR, it makes the entirety of La La Land look like a flaccid dick. Yeah. <laughs> like it. <laughs> terrible it's it's really it's important to note and i think that um a lot of people have made this comparison that compared to like musical sequences or movies with musical sequences in the west you need to be so fucking talented to make it in a major production in India, because you got to be able to act, you got to be able to sing, and you got to be able to dance your fucking ass off. Like you have to be so good at all those things. They really did that. Yeah, they did that. that. The two people that. in the rest of this long movie <laughs> did <laughs> all of that for real. Yeah, no stunt dancers involved at all. It's crazy because you can't you can't stunt dance that. I mean, I guess deep fake exists, but. Look, this movie already cost the equivalent of $69 million. I don't think they're going to spring more on deepfake technology. They're also very upfront that all of the uh, tiger, wolves, yes. deer, and snake were yeah. computer generated. That, that so is, I think if yeah. they put that in there, they'd have to say, and also we deepfaked <laughs> Rom and Beam for like five minutes and they were also not harmed. Uh, they're very strict uh, filmmaking laws they have to follow and treatment of animals is one of the utmost thing. That's, that's why that comes in at the very beginning of the film. They're, they're following, uh, some, some laws there. I, I love that because when I go into a movie, sometimes they do actually show in the West, <laughs> they do actually show like 
footage of a deer that was just shot in real life to show like this is this is the deer that person shot. Sometimes like you end up with them using footage of animals actually being hurt. And as someone who doesn't like to see that, I would like a guarantee that that's not what I'm seeing in a movie if possible. So I'm a I'm a fan. Yeah. That being said, you know, that all of those things were computer generated. And as soon as they showed cows, I was like, I can't tell. <laughs> can't tell. I can't tell if it's real or fake. I know they told me it was fake, but I can't tell. Couldn't tell. That tiger, though, totally computer generated. Yeah. Uh, going back to the themes of fire and water, how many more times do you think it came up, John? <laughs> um, Maybe about a hundred. <laughs> yeah, like a thousand times, including the big showdown in the courtyard. Ah, uh, the... um. The the kind of I guess inciting incident yes. I suppose the betrayal of their, of their, yes the the betrayal that uh, lays out Rom's backstory eventually yes the, I think that is the set piece that has the most fire water right stuff going on yes because at some point in the middle of their fight uh, Beam finds himself near the fountain which has broken and in the chaos. And he grabs a hose from that fountain as a weapon. And uh, Rom, as you do, picks up a discarded, knocked over brazier. Is that what they're called? No. Brazier. Brazier. A brazier uh, <laughs> that was just laying on the ground to use as a, as a weapon. And so fire and water meet again, only this time they are opposites. They're not working together. There's no oil. <laughs> There's an incredible visual motif that happens in that moment because it shows Rom, who just picked up the brazier and a crate of fireworks goes off behind him. Yes. And the fireworks are arcing around him in a very particular way to frame his face and yes, the rest of his body. So and amazing. then when it cuts to beam, the hoses from the fountain are arcing in the exact same way, but with water. <laughs> It is And then so they good. jump at each other, and then their individual fire and water weapons follow the same arc to hit yeah. each other in the air at the exact same time. This is the kind of stylization that the West just can't do. For, you know, as soon as a Western director even pitches it, it's going to get thrown out as being too corny. But who cares? Who cares about it it is so cool that that happened that they had these splash card moments that are treated with complete and utter sincerity and you care because you grew to like these characters and their relationship with each other it's fantastic this is the only place i'm gonna get a chance to talk about this i do have a rrr theory uh that only upon my fifth watch of this movie did I did I truly begin to coalesce into something. And you're going to dislike part of this, because I think I would not have been able to arrive at this realization had I not seen Avatar The Way of Water. I hate your theory. <laughs> and I think that Avatar The Way of Water... There's actually kind of a triumvirate happening right now. Avatar The Way of Water, RRR, and Everything Everywhere All at Once all have individually and together like a powerful underlying magic that is making people really resonate 
with them. And I think what that is, is I don't want to blame everything on Marvel movies. This is actually something, this is, this is an egg that's been hatching in Western media since the 90s or even the 80s. But I think it's because all three of those movies, uh, and for different reasons, for Avatar The Way of Water, you have a totally uh, irreproachable director who will compromise on nothing <laughs> in, in James Cameron. So yeah. he's he's someone whose vision cannot be altered. You have RRR, which comes from a place a uh, very far afield of our sensibilities in the West. And then you have everything everywhere all at once, which is largely created by Daniels who uh, don't give a shit and are counterculturalists and want to do the opposite of what is popular. And those three movies together bring back something that we have not seen in Western media for a long time, which is an intense serious appreciation for sincerity and sentimentality. <laughs> so by not caring about not compromising, not caring about outside voices, not compromising their vision, they're able to tap into something. This, this sincerity that you, you you're, you're citing. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a fascinating theory. It's sincerity and sentimentality, which I think that in the West existed in art, uh, particularly in movies, pretty consistently. But at some point in the West, most of our media became self-aware, pessimistic, they fly now. Like every, every single cool, interesting, sad, beautiful thing had to be commented on every bird with a beautiful song had to be dissected (laughs) and killed to figure out what made the song beautiful and these movies don't do that they let they let things be sweet and they let things be rad and they let things be sad and they just are if this movie was pitched in America, in the United States, is a big budget movie. They would do that cool, like fire, water, air flip thing, and then some guy who's played by like Simon Pegg or something in the back row would be like, "Oh, fire, water, little on the nose, don't you think?" Whatever, like right. Or, or they would land, and one of them would go, "Did we just do that? We just yeah, did that. Exactly. That just happened. That is a hundred percent what would happen. But it doesn't happen. And you know what happens when that doesn't happen?" We just keep going. Yeah. And we just keep loving what we're seeing. It's allowed to be what it is. And we yeah. don't have to fucking be self-aware about everything. And we can enjoy it. You can you can drink it in. You can drink it for the spectacle that it is. There's no need to be critical about it and say like, oh, that's kind of cheesy because no one cares. It was awesome. We don't need movies to think for us. We are yeah. not children. We can see two people with a fire motif and a water motif and they can clash and hit each other at the same time and fall on the ground. And you know what? Our brain for one picosecond says, huh, fire water. That's a little on the nose, huh? And then we discard that thought yeah, because that thought didn't add anything to our experience. We do not need to think about everything. Just enjoy it, which is, uh, for the large part, that's all RRR asks you to do. Come enjoy the spectacle. Come enjoy fire and water teaming up to take on oil 
my metaphor doesn't <laughs> really work anymore. No, we'll hang on to it for as long as we can. Yeah. One last moment of fire and water, John. Yes, please. Uh, this is in the final, the final sequence. The uh, what I like to call the the embodying of the avatars, uh, because Rom becomes his namesake. Rama. When they when they both literally become yes uh, characters from Indian mythology, right? Uh, so yes, uh, Beam goes for a drink of water to wash off, and uh, he's about to get shot by the officer guy whose name I Wallace, maybe Edward Edward. Uh, (laughs) And uh, he's saved by an arrow shot by Ram, who is now adorned in the classical garb of the person he actually is representing. Whose name is Aluri Sitarama Raju. That is actual what he, that is actually what he would wear to fight in the jungles. Yes. His Um, uh, uh, very famously, a statue of him is in, in in that exact same garb. Yeah. And and it could, that garb could be inspired by uh, Lord Rama from the Ramayana, uh, the Ramayana, if you want to pronounce it correctly. Uh, But uh, that, that's kind of speculation. However, (laughs) what does beam do (laughs) when he sees (laughs) that he's about to get shot? Oh, he dives in the water. Uh Uh-huh. And what, what, what are the arrows coded in that Rom is fire shooting at people? Oh, it's they're coded in fire. It's uh-huh. it's it's woven throughout the entire movie. If it, there's probably way more examples, they're coded in fire, and then one of these arrows snaps a spear that's sticking out of the ground, which lands in the water, and then this entire segment yeah. incredible is amazing beam in very slow motion totally covered in water in a slow motion sequence that lasts 20 seconds to really drive the point home that this guy is a water guy yes uh jumps out of the water and starts stabbing people with a water spear also kicks a motorcycle at a guy <laughs> it is amazing uh yes so yes uh and this leads us to the mythological the mythological uh elements of the film because in in this last sequence i truly believed that both of these these everyday people become avid because uh everyone knows everyone knows the story of the ramayana correct oh everyone knows the ramayana everyone took um and and uh a sacred books of the east class right uh so we all know that lord rama is an avatar of the protector god Vishnu, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, everyone Vishnu, knows that. Vishnu has about ten avatars uh, throughout the stories of, of Vishnu, and Lord Rama is, of course, one of them. Uh, the signature bow and arrow being Vishnu's favorite weapon, and uh, Lord Rama, of course, being really good at the bow and arrow. Uh, I think Ram, in this final sequence, becomes an avatar of Vishnu. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. And I've never read the uh, and I'm Mahabharata, gonna, the Mahabharata, uh, but the M- M- Mahabharata is about the uh, this this muscular and immobile, immovable, not immobile, <laughs> <laughs> totally the, immobile, uh, muscular and immovable Bima, mm-hmm. who is has the strength of I don't know, like an ape. It's very strong. Very strong. Like an ape might be. Yes, like an ape might be. 
And so, yeah, I, I really do feel like uh, the the filmmaker SS. Uh, I, I got to scroll up and I can see it. Roger Mooley. Roger Mooley. Roger Mooley. I really feel like he's channeling this this tradition of of weaving the, these Hindi Hindu gods into real life stories. I really feel like he's channeling that. Like it, it was already a, a movie about superheroes. Now it's a movie about the avatars of gods. Yeah, I mean, in a way, this is actually the explanation of their superheroic powers in that they are manifestations of these two mythological beings. Uh, so for Beam's case, I, and I don't think you have to... I think you can be let off the hook, and I could tell you, you're 100% right, because the lyrics of the songs that are playing, while they are transformed to these avatars, are literally about the exploits of these two characters from mythology. Okay. Like like the Beam song is saying that he like crushed the heads of arrogant elephants in the city square or something. Totally and I have not read the Mahabharata. The Ramayana is typically the one that they teach in college classes when you actually get to the east. Um which is kind of a shame. Honestly, with my pretty limited readings of that literature. I thought Beam was a stand-in for Hanuman, to be totally honest with you, because Hanuman is a um, friend of Rama. I do want to... I want to back that up, because he he absolutely is serving dual roles here. Like, he's Bhima and Hanuman. Uh, Okay. And and so, uh, because what happens is there's a reverse kidnapping of of the traditional story in the the, the ramayana and the ramayana it's sita who is kidnapped and imprisoned mm-hmm. by a demon lord and it's hanuman who delivers less uh messages from sita to rama oh wow okay in, in rrr ram is kidnapped and it is beam who uh in in acting as hanuman delivers a message from Sita to Ram. It's an inverse of the of the, tradi- the traditional story. So yes, uh, so uh, Beam is both Hanuman and Bhima. Oh, okay. So I wasn't totally wrong. You're not completely you're not you're not off at all. You're actually like spot on. Okay, good. That's um, why I kept saying like he has the strength of an <laughs> ape. Oh, I see. Because I of see. course Hanuman is is the god the the, the ape god. Uh but yes, this is Maybe the point where this movie becomes the most, I guess, like culturally challenging. And I think maybe one of the reasons why the director thought that this movie wouldn't necessarily see like wide success, because it is honestly at at the very last scene, very dependent on you knowing a lot about Indian mythology that any person from India would know, but probably doesn't carry that far outside of the country. Uh, but it whips. It's the best. Yeah. It yeah, rules. So there might be some context lost on the average viewer uh, who didn't, like me, read the the Ramayana. And I, I want to say I read it in like a world literature class. Um, however, I don't think that much really needs to be understood. It's like it, it's the final moments. They're at their most powerful. This is the final battle. They even like fused together in this crazy... <laughs> Oh, the the <laughs> best part of the movie. I mean, the, the the absolute apex of the film is, and talk about a slow burn. You get the betrayal slowly over time. You learn 
Rom's story, and at the very end for the last part of Rom's story, as is revealed to Beam from Sita, you get it. Beam realizes his mistake, rescues his friend who has had his legs broken, and what's the only way they can proceed that makes sense? (laughs) Remember when Beam was squatting with Rom on his shoulders at the beginning? You thought that was just funny. It was was... fucking foreshadowing. Remember how Rom was doing pull-ups at the beginning? That was fucking foreshadowing. Oh, for this yes the the uh, the combination beam legs rom arms i mean and, and at certain points i feel like this happened where where oh oh my god there was a great moment uh rom has two fully you know automatic rifles he's out of bullets and beam just reloads them with two clips <laughs> yes it's like it's, they 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 have become Shiva, destroyer of worlds. <laughs> it is probably, uh, there was a moment when I watched this movie for the first time when there was like an audible gasp watching it because after uh, Rom and Beam fuse into the ultimate fighting machine, the uh, British forget the very specific name for a prison in the British Raj, but a prison in the British Raj. The guards of that are sent to hunt them down and there are searchlights going and one turns a corner and there's this massive shadow looming over them and they look over and it's Beam and Rom together. Rom picks the guy up, throws him into the ceiling and catches this fucking M1 Garand or whatever as it falls through the air and it's it's just so good. It's amazing. Like it, it's it is so good. You, I'm sure there are kung fu movies that rival this movie, but not many. Oh, for sure. Now, the one thing that I will say, and this is something I've I've seen come up in film criticism almost as long as I've been watching movies. I really like action movies, and I love fight sequences that are done well. Like I'm a, a real aficionado of that shit. And the criticism is that you can't effectively tell a story through a fight scene. This movie, if nothing else, proves that that is certainly wrong. Yeah, it, it is. I, I I don't know if I've ever heard that criticism. It sounds... I really hate it. I hate the, the pedantic little fucking pencil necks who have that opinion. It, it's like the people who say, like, oh, I don't like musicals because every time they sing, all of the progress stops. And that... Is true for a quarter of the song types there are. I feel like fight scenes are the same way. Usually they're all fight scenes. If if they are not progressing the plot, then what are... I guess you would be right. But every fight scene has motion to it. Uh, you start in one place and you end up somewhere completely different. Or an obstacle has been removed from the progress of the story. And that uh, whoever you were fighting is now knocked out. I, I wholly disagree with that. I, I maybe said this during our Everything Everywhere All at Once supplemental reading, but I know someone who saw the movie and said they wished it had fewer fight scenes because when they fight, nothing happens in the story. I'm like, you're 150 fucking percent wrong. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And there are bad fight scenes in movies that accomplish nothing, but those movies are typically bad. Right. Good movies with fight scenes use them, like you were saying, with both Rom and beam but especially rom in the opening scene where he's fighting a thousand guys 
that tells you more about his character than dialogue ever could. Yeah, I, I mean, we could be told, oh, he's a man who never stops. Nothing gets in his way. Is that as effective of seeing him be literally held down by dozens of people and him still finding the determination and strength to to push them off and continue his menial task of getting that one guy? No, that's not as powerful at all. Yeah, couldn't have communicated that in words at all. Uh, anyway, that's that's just a little hobby horse I like to jump on every once in a while. The the beam rom fusion is <laughs> that whole the, sequence. It's that so entire <laughs> they're climbing up the tower as one unit in silhouette. It's so good, and and they even find a way to get a motorcycle and a horse at the yes. very end, yes. just to bring it all full circle. It, it's I just gotta, I gotta say I don't. I don't know that I can think of any movie that uses motorcycles as weaponry as often as this movie does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess once it's used for saving a child and then the next it's used to bring down an entire government palace. I mean, a motorcycle is thrown at a guy, a motorcycle is kicked at a guy, and then a motorcycle is ramped shot with an arrow and then blows up essentially the the british raj yes blows up the entire the governor scott's manor yes oh it is a fantastic movie uh for all the reasons we're saying and uh, i i just want to carve out a small little section of what of the of the time we have left mm-hmm. to just shut down anyone saying that they don't like the portrayal of the British in this movie. I'm I'm sorry. Are there people who are saying that there are some? There are 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 there are are, are some people who say who are like, well, the villains are so one sided. Mm-hmm. And uh, to those people, I say, well, I guess you've never been oppressed. <laughs> yes, there's no redeeming qualities of people who who subjugate other people. I'm sorry, like. Th- I don't know. There was a moment. There was a moment when um, the governor's wife has died and he just goes, no. And I'm like, did you even like her? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's not clear. Also, come on, man. Who? Yeah. Who? I'm sorry. I don't. We're not. The British are not here for you to relate to them as characters. Not even Jenny is fully fleshed out as a person. She is. Do those people also complain that when Russians are portrayed in American things, that they're not humanized enough? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. So it's just, or that the Mexican drug cartels and action movies aren't fleshed out enough. Those people probably weren't complaining about that. Right. Uh, They're not here to be dimensional characters. They're here to be one sided antagonist and they excel at it. Espe- <laughs> the British especially excel at it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, why complain about it when you historically, in actual fact, have created some of the best one-dimensional villains you could possibly put in a movie? And, and just to further shut down these people, this movie was shown in Britain and they loved it. So, yeah, because they know they suck. <laughs> yeah, because they know their history. They know yeah. that they did less than, what's the word? Less than savory? No. <laughs> <laughs> less than savory. Sweet. Less than less than favorable things, maybe, yes. there. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. I'm going to say the British Raj, probably not good for India. Yeah. <laughs> probably didn't um, make a lot of people who um, lived there <laughs> very happy. With that said, I do have to say, I wish the governor's wife, Catherine? Catherine. I wish she had toned it down a little during the whipping scene. <laughs> I was I was physically uncomfortable with how into it she was. Yeah, and also she gives... I gotta say, the, the whipping scene is one that I'll listen to, but I actually find pretty hard to watch. I mean... It's, it's very yeah. gratuitous, especially when she throws down... Also, does she just keep, like, that big thorn <laughs> whip with her everywhere? Um... We're not really shown the governor and Catherine together in the bedroom, but I, I have a feeling there's a reason why the Mr. Scott, Mr. Governor Scott never takes his, uh, his, his uniform oh, off. Oh no, they've got something going on. I gotta got say, some... pro- props to Scott in one way, in that he is given, there are actually two very cool scenes, which... The the cinematography of this movie is super blown out, but really incredible. Uh, the the first scene I think is when Scott is going to like shoot Molly. I think Molly, uh, and there's this incredible symmetric shot of him walking down these pure white steps in the courtyard with this big robe dragging behind him, and then he aims this rifle one handed and looks straight up at the camera. Great. Uh, very cool. But also, when they're pursuing Beam and Mali, his car gets a a tree felled on it. Yeah. And then, oh my god, oh yeah. And then he's like, "Well, can't can't miss a beat." He is ejected in standing position, grabs a gun, and is already standing on the car. Amazing. It's kind of one of those moments in an anime when, like, the protagonist realizes the antagonist has the same exact power set as them. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, I, I, for a second, I was like, oh, God, he's the same as them. Like, Governor he, Scott took off his weighted clothing. Yeah, he's got the same exact sort of, like, batitude, ratitude kind of, like, vibe going about him. And then you realize, no, he's just a man. Yeah, he's he's just a man. I mean, he he's a governor for a reason. He's especially cruel, especially <laughs> yes. with a gun in his hands. But yeah, um, I uh, I also want to carve out a little bit of time to talk about maybe my favorite motif in the movie, which has uh, once again this script really great. Uh, this motif has a moment of recontextualization in each of the acts, and I think there's actually a some total of four recontextualizations. But it's Scott's speech about the value of a bullet. Oh, and yes. the life of an Indian not being worth using that bullet. And it goes through multiple recontextualizations into its final recontextualization when Ram says it before giving the bullet to beam to kill Scott. That's yeah. a great motif. That is that was really great. I do love the um one thing I noticed is that uh the the monologue updates uh, the price of the bullet uh, increases over time uh, yes, because I, I of inflation, I guess. Yeah, I, I suppose so. That bullet gets more and more expensive. <laughs> yeah, at the start of the movie, it's like this bullet is, is one pound. But in the flashback, when uh, when Ram is younger, the bullet, not Ram, 
Rom's dad. Rom's dad when he is uh when he is an imperial yeah. military officer. When Rom's dad um was an imperial military officer, the bullet was only worth six pence. Yes. Uh you know, it gets more and more expensive. And at the very end, it's worth Scott's life, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really do like that. I, you know, I'm a sucker for a good turn of phrase, a good feeding the the line back to the the, the guy who said it. And uh, that was, I mean, the fact that that line was repeated uh, multiple times, and then it's like you get to cap it off with feeding it right back to him. That mm. that's just good action movie. Oh yeah, filmmaking right there. So good. And yeah. then Rom taking on his uh, taking. Uh, following in his father's footsteps of being a teacher because ultimately how he would be most impactful is teaching people to use weapons against the british gives the weapon to someone else and then instructs them how to use it the cheap move would be for rom to shoot him right but to but have it, beam do it is even better and in a way like that was his father's final moments to him yeah, his, exactly. his last lesson if you will uh, comes full circle because even though he is the greatest warrior to ever have walked the earth, uh, the greatest thing a warrior can do is teach others to be just as great as him. <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately cut to the uh, final credits song <laughs> from this movie because that is the best way we could possibly end this podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, God, that final song is great. It shows uh, a lot of the freedom fighters and protesters that, that led who's his many victories led to the the eventual independence of India. Um, a really great tribute to those people in a very semi-serious way after like a historical retelling of two of them. It was interesting. I also, um, not for nothing, I think that the Indian Revolution obviously has a lot to... It, it owes a lot to Gandhi, the uh, the precepts of both civil disobedience and peaceful protest were a huge part of overthrowing the British Raj. But I feel like because it gives Western audiences an easy out to be like, and they get independence peacefully, it allows us in the West to kind of wallpaper over the very real, effective, violent revolution that was taking place in India for decades. Right. Uh, so it, it's good to actually see that part in a movie. And I mean, it, no revolution is bloodless. I'm sorry. I mean, in the West, we'd like to believe that every revolution is bloodless except ours. So if people want to resist us, they should do it peacefully. But if we want to resist other people, we should shoot them. I think there was exactly one revolution that was bloodless and it was called the glorious revolution. It happened in Britain. Yeah, I'm not familiar. It doesn't really need to be gone into, but yeah, all other revolutions that I know of have been full of blood. Uh, independence is bought in blood. Yeah, the um, Tree of Freedom, Blood of Patriots, etc. Yeah. Uh, so I think, Henry, that kind of only leaves us with one final regular supplemental reading segment. Uh, yeah, the one I can never remember the words to. Yes, so we have to decide here and now. There's like a spectrum of six things, right? <laughs> yes, there's a spectrum of six things and also the null state in the middle. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> we like it, love it, gotta have more of it. On the positive side, on the negative side, we 
don't like it, we loathe it, or we gotta have less of it. Right. Or, and of in, course, the null state, which is we have no opinion. In the middle, there is the null state, which... What did we ever use that for? I don't think we've ever used it for anything ever. All right, so there's seven from don't like it to gotta have more of it. Got it. Yeah. No, from gotta have less of it to gotta have more of it. Oh, gotta have less? Oh, okay, so... Oh, my God. <laughs> it's don't like it, loathe it, gotta have less of it. Why would you start with don't like it, then? You're going backwards? Yeah, from zero. Okay, is, okay the, no, start, the with, the, the start scale, with the least amount. <laughs> the scale in order is gotta have less of it, loathe it, don't like it, the null state. Like it, love it, gotta have more of it. All right, I am now fully on board. I need a graph. If anyone is listening, can just make a visual representation of that for me. I can print it out and tape it to my monitor so I'll never forget it. Can someone give us a dendrogram? Give me a dendrogram. Yes, so, yes, the official zero credits rating of RRR. Because uh, for some reason, after you talk about something, you you got to give it a rating. <laughs> after you talk glowingly about something for an hour plus, you have to choose. I'll go first in okay. that. Um, I'm going to say mine is a gotta have more of it with the provision that I don't necessarily want to have more of this exact story with these exact characters. But I want to see more movies in this vein. Like, okay. I, I want to see more sentimental, sincere, epic action dramas, specifically from uh, the Telangana region of India, but any region of India. Uh, more movies like this, please. I will see whatever movie SS Rajamuli directs after this. Apparently, he's made some real bangers before this, too. Yeah, he has a trilogy of fantasy movies that we probably should check out. Oh, we should point. absolutely watch those. Yeah, um, I am of a similar vein. I do hope that people are going to watch this movie and learn the correct lessons from it and not just imitate it soullessly, you know? Um, so I I got to have more of it, but with a further caveat of I got to have more people watching this and, and learning or just not learning, being inspired to make similar works. Uh, Coming from the the Telugu region of, well, that's the language. I don't know the region. Uh, Telangana region. The Telangana region. I didn't say that right. Eh, you're fine. Okay. But from that region, I don't want imitators, you know? I don't want people who are, like, going to imitate the style without any of the substance. Like, just, just go for it. Go for the big moves. Make big swings. And don't worry about what critics will say because as we've discussed they'll be wrong i mean to be clear this movie stylistically is a bombshell but what makes this movie special is everything that isn't that this movie is special down to its bone marrow in a way that has nothing to do with how flashy or stylish it is. Right. I, I can appreciate a movie that is super flashy and, and, and super stylistic, but if there's nothing underneath it, then what you have is uh, a Suicide Squad, but the one that won the Oscar for costumes, not the one that James Gunn did. Yeah. Honestly, the one James Gunn did is closer to what we're talking about today, but it's still barely there. Right. 
Yeah. And I think with that, that is a double gotta have more of it. The highest rating a a a piece of film can can get on a supplemental rating, which means this is hands down a zero credits recommends. Yes, it is part of our showcase. You know, strangely, our recommends have really lined up with the Draft House recommends. Uh, uh, they don't but- miss. You know, smart people out there. Maybe we'll interview one of them on this very podcast. What's wrong with you? Why would you Uh, even put that out there? One day. If only I didn't insult them in a previous episode. Unknowingly. Can you insult someone unknowingly? I don't even know who you're talking about. Anyway, I think with that social media, is that right? Right. So... Yes. Uh, (laughs) Throw it to me. I'm going to. I'm setting you up. Oh, 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 R, R, R. What? You know, Henry. (laughs) I'm setting you up to do the social media plugs. Are you about to set me up to set you up? Henry. Yes? Do you know what a sea lion's favorite movie in the Telugu language is? What is it, John? R, R, R. Amazing. Because they slap. Yeah, because they slap. I'm going to those so so many edit points. Uh, look, we love doing supplemental readings. We do them often, but sometimes we don't have our finger on the pulse of what people like, uh, as much as we think we do. So one way you can help us out is by sending us some suggestions of things you want us to check out. And John's going to tell you how you can do that. That's right. You can send us a tweet on Twitter, which uh, 4,000 characters. Yes. No. Big long tweet. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. You can send us a big long tweet on Twitter to at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. And I believe my friend Henry knows what that stands for. Uh, Yes, that stands for the story, the fire, the water. (laughs) The story, the fire, the water. And if you would like us to put our fingers on your pulse in a different way, what? you can send us an email to, unfortunately, zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. My customer support emails have gone unanswered. Uh, and if you, I really wanted to like have this thing where I kept talking about pulses and fingers and touching of the pulses of the people, but it, all fell apart. So if you're listening to this podcast, congratulations. You made it through another one or your first one and you're still here. Oh my god. But if you're listening to this podcast, unless you're a real a real deep internet silk road guy, you found it somewhere usually on a podcast service and honey, we're on all of them. We are on Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, well, we're on that Google Podcasts app. We're on every one of them, including Apple Podcasts, the only podcast <laughs> that I have an iPhone now. So I feel like I should I should only say uh, Apple Podcasts going forward. But a great thing to do to get people to learn about the show is to leave a rating and, if possible, a review on one of these services it really helps us out. But what really helps us out, what really, really helps us out, got to clearly differentiate it from the previous category. So what really, really helps us out is if you use your meager social media presence to tell people what's wrong about the, if you have a TikTok where you open 
jam jars and then you pour the jam out on a counter and you're like mm, yummy and you you have some kind of following <laughs> for that if you have a tiktok where you poke the blisters on your hands or the needle because the attention economy has guaranteed that we only see the best things and we are not rapidly spiraling if you have those things let people know about the podcast you can cut an orb of goo you, you, the video is you cutting an orb of goo, but the audio and the text is a recommendation for people to listen to zero credits. Why would you do that? Because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. So tell your TikToks, tell your nothing rhymes with TikTok. Fuck. Shit. And from everyone here at the Zero Credit Studios, we want to thank you for listening to our supplemental reading of RRR. We hope you enjoyed it, and we want to wish you a happy week. Goodbye. Goodbye. afraid that YouTube was poisoning the minds of children and TikTok is turning us all into the children.